0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. My name is Leslie Lamb, and I'm the host and producer of the Crypto Unstacked podcast. Today, I have a very special opportunity to be guest hosting on Real Vision. And here with me today is Darius Sitt, co-founder of QCP Capital, which is one of Asia's largest and most respected crypto OTC desks. Hey, Darius, welcome back on Real Vision.
1: Thank you, Leslie. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, so last time you were on the show, you and your co-founder, Josh and Raoul Pell, covered really a number of topics. Basically, you gave the primer on how QCP Capital got started, what your main businesses are. You covered everything from real crypto use cases in Asia, specifically on the topic of stable coins and settlement, to ways that yield capture opportunities are being democratized through crypto. So for those of you tuning in, if you haven't listened to the last episode, I highly encourage you to do so as it puts our conversation today with Darius in good context. So Darius, what this means for us today is that we're going to be exploring and teasing out themes that build on your last conversation with Raul. Um, and there's a lot to talk about, but I think it would be great to break down our conversation in a few thematic buckets. One, one. Are the global macro drivers that you think are really impacting the crypto macro space, the crypto uh, market space, um, your crypto macro observations. I know you have a lot of those. Your thoughts on crypto market microstructure as it relates to CFI and DeFi as well. Let's start with your, your meeting with uh, Paul Tudor Jones. Actually, that would be quite fun to kick things off. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That was a good one. Uh, so I was in Miami last week, uh, met up with Paul Tudor Jones. Um, I think it was time to see the uh, two worlds really collide and converge. I mean, I had to change my uh, trip schedule to, to go down to Palm Beach to meet him. Uh, he was a nice guy, you know, um, very well informed on what's happening in the crypto markets. I mean, the fact, that fact alone is an interesting one that he has been, uh, you know, I mean, he, 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 he was the one that sort of pulled us out of the crypto winter, right? I mean, back then when uh, Bitcoin was was like 4,000 or so, you know, it was uh, the announcement from that, that he had bought Bitcoin that, that sort of uh, took us above the level and, you know, and then we haven't looked back ever since uh so i i brought up the fact and he was very amused by that um but yeah he's been a big big you know supporter of bitcoin as a inflation hedge uh and and he has been a a, a solana bull as well so you know i think you know he's uh he's, he's uh you know he's probably a bit more uh, into the space than people think uh, at the same time you know uh, he's as a, he's also been uh quite amazed or, or, or shocked at, at you know, uh, some of the valuations that we've been seeing in crypto. So I think, you know, not not just crypto, right, in macro as well. So, you know, we, we discussed like uh, um, Tesla trading at 380p, you know, uh, uh, we discussed uh, inflation numbers uh, and we discussed crypto valuations as well. So, you know, I shared some anecdotes of some projects like uh, all the gaming guilds trading at billions of dollars. The uh, some of the DeFi projects trading at billions of dollars, and you know the, he, he was very concerned um that we are at the uh, tail end of a, of a bull cycle, so you know I think uh, that, that's something that that he he brought up uh that he um he hasn't been seeing uh this kind of uh, froth since the the uh the, the tech bubble, so at the dot com bubble i mean so yeah, I think pretty interesting conversation overall um you know, the message that I took away from him was, you know, do 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 be wary of of uh, of um, valuations and inflation. So, you know, something that we are looking at, you know, planning for as well at this point.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that inflation story. So, uh, for for those who aren't familiar or even know that Paul Tudor Jones is in Bitcoin, he indeed is, and I'm sure his. Portfolio has has grown a tiny bit uh, since he first allocated to the space. Um, but when he first announced this, he put forward this thesis called the Great Monetary Inflation. And very fittingly, the acronym is GMI. Uh, this thesis is the reason why he believes uh, Bitcoin as a store of value, right, as you said, Darius, is a sound hedge against what he calls the new inflation era. And what he is referring to here really is the growth of the M2 money uh, supply, right, which has really outpaced real economic growth. And this really isn't something we've seen since the inflationary periods of the 1970s and 80s, right, under the Fed chairs, Burns, uh, Volcker, and Greenspan. So does this dynamic, Darius, worry you? The fact that inflation, the CPI in the U.S. is, you know, 6%. We started out the year, you know, near 1% or so. Um, And how much does this narrative impact crypto?
1: It has a strange impact on crypto, right? Meaning that um, in one sense, it has benefited crypto because, uh, you know, uh, the the cheap money has pushed crypto prices uh, high, right? Uh, I mean, no one can deny that. Um, at the same time, you know uh, how would crypto prices react to a, a correction in traditional markets you know when there's high inflation and the fed is the, the fed is forced to to taper um that, that remains uh, quite a big question for everybody uh, you know as to how how the crypto markets and how crypto valuations would would react to traditional markets in response to inflation so it's inflation hedge on one hand but At the same time, you know, it also has that correlation when there's a deleveraging cycle. So, you know, a a bit of a a strange one to tackle. I think one thing I discussed with Paul as well was that the inflation theme is not just a case of the Fed printing money. Uh, You know, historically, it's always been central banks that print money. Uh, Right now in crypto, we have a situation where everyone can print money, right? uh you and i can print money i can i can i can create a token and 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 print a, a billion dollars overnight if it's possible right so we have a situation where inflation might be worse than we think because it's not just the fed printing money it's every other project and every other person is printing money so the question is do we head into a situation with hyperinflation you know where Literally, uh, you know, I, I mean, I mentioned this to him that, that the, the word, the term unicorn has become a bit of a misnomer in, 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 uh, in crypto because every other project has a, is a unicorn. Um, so how do you justify that? How do you, how do you, uh, how do you make sense of that in, in this environment? So, you know, I think what, what he said was, uh, he feels, he feels that, that, you know, he feels very cautious, but at the same time, he also said that he would never shop crypto. So a uh, bit of a mixed oh, message there. Oh, that's a strong statement. Right? Uh, he will never short crypto because you know uh, the amount of uh, you know the, the positive feedback loop that happens here could go on. In could go on for a long time, you know, and, and it's very hard to mark the end of it, right? Um, he says it's a bit it's a bit clearer for traditional markets. He feels like the turn of the calendar year uh, would would see, would create market highs as they do as they have done in in markets many markets before. Uh, but not too sure about crypto so so yeah, I think you know we all we're all aware especially especially for us who who uh, have a, have one foot in the venture side of things that, that valuations are a bit crazy, but uh the the truth is they they can and they probably will get a bit crazier uh be, before before we see a market high so uh, yeah, I think a few a few themes to think about, no real clear answer to that, um, but uh, his advice was, if you are weighing the money on some of your stuff, you know. Might be, might be smart to take some off the table.
0: Was this meeting prior to the weekend sell-off or during?
1: It was uh, just prior to the weekend sell-off. So uh, I had met him and, you know, we had posted a summary of some of his views uh, uh, in our usual market update and broadcast. And um, I don't think it caused it, but uh, it was quite timely. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I mean, this is another Big topic, I'm sure, on people's minds, right? Of course, when they open up like CoinGecko and the entire market is is red, people are definitely concerned. Um, but how would you characterize the latest sell-off we saw this weekend?
1: Well, so so I think the latest sell-off was pretty interesting, right? I mean, obviously, from the uh, price action and the gappiness of it, uh, it was a partly caused by liquidity. Um, the interesting thing for us is that the sell-off, I think... Uh, it's probably more China-led because uh, you know even though you know right on the sell-off you, you have all the ex- all the uh, uh, derivative exchanges all uh, having the perps trade at, at a negative funding you know obviously that always happens because people uh, uh, unwind their leverage positions and you know the the perp goes into a negative uh, funding due to that um, but the funding in uh, the more Western or, or global exchanges normalised very quickly. The negative funding in the Chinese exchanges have persisted. Uh, I think up to now as well. Uh, you know, negative funding is still happening there. So the the persistent and the continuous selling seems to be coming from from the east, um, and that makes sense because you know there have been uh, a few bearish pieces uh, coming out of China. Um, you know, uh, with uh, the failure of of some of the Evergrande related uh, uh, you know bond bond repayments the uh, possible delisting of of, of DT from uh, the New York Stock Exchange. So um, then this seems to be a bit China-led. And uh, the question I have is, you know, we spoke to Paul and we're expecting a correction sometime next year, right? Either at the turn of the year or Q1, Q2, when the Fed starts to to really taper. Um, My question is uh, that I'm asking myself is, whether this Chinese effect and the Omicron uh, uh, virus has brought that market top a little closer. With that said, you know, uh, just today, we saw the biggest buying of uh, call options we've ever seen on our desk. Um, Literally 10,000 Bitcoin requests uh, for calls uh, expiring uh, um, December and January. These are sizes that I only used to see when i was at a hedge fund and a bank uh i'm now seeing it in crypto and you know uh, it's it's quite surprising to me so a bit of a mixed signal i think you know uh, we could possibly personally i think we could possibly squeeze higher before uh before coming off uh, again I mean, there is real selling pressure but there is uh there are signs that you know with uh some a lot of the de- deleveraging uh, selling going on plus this uh um, demand for calls, uh, we could see spot squeeze a bit higher before coming off. So, um, hard time to market, but I, I my, my sense is that that would probably, uh, uh, be the reaction following this sell-off.
0: So how are those options structured right now? Is it leaning one way or the other, you know, mix of calls and puts? Um, what's the kind of color that, that people are, are asking you guys about?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, interestingly enough, you know, uh, The flavor of last month uh, was the big buying of March 15k Ether calls. And mostly that demand was created by uh, uh, Raul's GMI report, where he recommended uh, buying Ether 15k March calls. So uh, funnily enough, we've, we've called it the Raul effect because it actually caused a shift in the a kink in the, in the vol curve for March. You know, uh, there was so much buying of the, these Mark 15k calls that uh, Ether vols were very elevated. So at that time, the, the interesting thing is um, that Bitcoin and Ether were trading the same realized vol uh, so that the actual vol was was, a, was was the same. But Ether implied, especially in the March tenor and on the call side was trading 20% higher on the implied side, right? So uh, there was there was a tangible Raul effect here. Um, which we were able to fade, you know, sort of a relative value vol trade against Bitcoin. That worked out pretty well. Um, but since, uh, since last month or so, uh, since in the middle of the month or so, we have seen a persistent uh, higher demand for puts. So calls, calls relative to puts, calls have been cheaper than they have ever been relative to puts. The market is uh, slightly concerned about the downside. Um, that's possibly why uh, a lot of people were buying these calls as well, because they are relatively cheap. Um, but yeah, I think we've been seeing a good mix of of, of both and, and, and huge sizes as well. Um, the interesting, the most interesting piece for us in recent, the recent two months has been the, the, uh, growth of this, these options in the DeFi market, right? Um, you know, before these few months, I think, you know, DeFi options were not that scalable, we didn't see them trade in big size, you know, um, but They've come. They've come up in the last few months in a huge way. So now you know we're trading on average about a billion dollars notional a month in DeFi options, and uh, that, that that's something that I find extremely interesting uh, in in the option market as a sort of development on on the infrastructure.
0: I definitely want to dive into your DeFi activity because, as you mentioned, I don't think people realize the size that you're trading. You know, in the DeFi space, right? So, let's maybe take a few steps back and. Give a little bit more color on volatility, specifically, you know, within uh, kind of Bitcoin and Ethereum markets, because during the last conversation with Raul, you talked about how Asian investors are sophisticated in volatility selling strategies, right? So when you say, you know, you've seen the largest size you've ever seen when it comes to options, um, give us some examples of, you know, kind of how... Asian investors are looking to protect on the downside as you say as it you know relates to bitcoin and ethereum
1: um you no know, so i mean the the last uh chat we had with Raul a, a lot of the uh investors had typically been very yield seeking so a lot of our book was uh you know typically uh typically sell vol high carry you know uh passive trades uh what we've seen and not particularly in Asia, I think this is more of a global global thing, is uh options have become a means for for expressing direction as well as for protection. Um because of course, you know, uh with uh with sport markets I would say the new demand for, for sport has been great for, for, for crypto, but at the same time, you know, um the amount of leverage that's in the space now has made, uh, I would say, spot liquidity a bit more tricky. So, for example, if you look at the uh, the move on, on, on Saturday uh, and if you were trading spot, you would have found it very difficult. Uh, the spreads were wide, very difficult to manage. Uh, one good way for hedging downside has been buying options, right? Um, to ensure that you don't get caught uh, on the wrong side when the market gaps. So I think. I think there is a, a conversion between the, uh, or rather, a, a, the, the two worlds are starting to collide. Where 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 uh, the, the players that are starting to come into crypto are more sophisticated players, right? You know, we we have had uh, hedge funds uh, on board with us, uh, which previously we, we we you know since the last call we hadn't. Now we have like actual proper good name hedge funds uh, onboarding with us, looking to do derivatives. Uh, starting to, to get onboarded with a few banks to, to do crypto options as well. So I think when, when you have these players come in, um, it starts to look, the profile starts to look a little bit different. It's no longer just simple strategies for, for carry. You start to have structures to express uh, specific views, uh, start to have structures to, to, to express, uh, um, um, you know, uh, as an underlying layer for various structured products or, or for various types of products where, which are, are more, much more sophisticated. So I think the the crypto uh, derivative landscape is is definitely becoming a bit more advanced with more advanced players coming in and I think it's in a very interesting phase where we're starting to see this this transition and the volume starting to come in so you know it's' be interesting to see how the market reacts to this um and how the market develops from here
0: yeah, absolutely so qCP runs a book I think that is well well above two billion dollars right now um across crypto exchanges, spot and derivatives, OTC, and DeFi, right? You touched a little bit about your DeFi activity just a short while ago. Um, and and you said something that's interesting, which is that DeFi options um, you think are scalable now or relatively more scalable than they were probably just a year ago. Can you talk about De- the DeFi options trading landscape because that I think is quite niche um, even for people who are in crypto. I I don't think it's really well understood.
1: I, I think it's niche now, but uh, I've got a feeling with the recent developments, it will become a, a very common thing. Um, let me explain why. So, I mean, you know, with with, with DeFi, you know, you guys are, are, are very well aware of this as well. Uh, you know, we, we had the very typical... Uh, borrowing lending over collateralized borrowing lending, uh, and the AMMs as as the mainstay for 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 the DeFi space. Um, these 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 protocols and and the underlying tends to be more linear products, right? The main reason these have been scalable in DeFi is they function very well without an intermediary. Um, the AMM functions very well on its own without intermediary. Uh, uh, so that the borrowing lending you know uh, is, is, is easy to manage liquidations for this margin for this margin lending or no, my no margin lending, um, and even for for spot trading, uh, spot spot delta one trading, you know, uh, it's fine as well. You know, DYDX has a decent volume. Uh, linear products lend themselves well to DeFi. Uh, so you know that 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 piece has been solved, um, by DeFi. So you know it makes sense, easy easy to do. The problem with this is that. A lot of the yield that comes from, from, from this is not from, it's not an organic yield, so to speak. Uh, a lot of the yield in DeFi comes from the native token or other native tokens being given to the investor. So you have sort of a uh, inflationary model, right? Where you have to print more tokens or rather you have, to cr- you have to increase token supply in order to give the yield, right? So we see that as DeFi 1.0, right? Linear products yield coming mostly from, from token printing. And options have traditionally not lent themselves well to DeFi. The reason is because of liquidations. It's easy to do liquidations on a linear order book, right? A linear product. But when it comes to options, it's a bit tricky, even for Deribit, right? Even for Deribit, it's a bit tricky because you know, let's say you have a big book on Deribit, and 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 you know it's getting liquidated. You know what what would do is they would uh, square up the delta, right? They would square up the delta in perps, you know, where your your the portfolio would be delta neutral, and then they would take some time as an as the exchange to try and unwind your positions. Uh even for a big centralized exchange, liquidating non-linear products is is tricky. So the the question is. If you put this process in a DeFi environment without an intermediary, uh, in my mind it becomes almost impossible, um, you know, to do it without intermediary, um, because the Greeks, the, the non- non-linear, the non part of it is very difficult to liquidate. So the so the question has always been, you know, can can options and other non-linear products ever work in a DeFi environment without intermediary, and and before before this these few months, I think you know. The answer has been no, you know, you know, we haven't seen that in a very scalable way uh, with all the native DeFi option order books uh, for this very reason. Um, the only way it would work is possibly if they were fully collateralized, right? Um, but what, what happened, what, what has happened is um, there's been a shift where the model has turned into a hybrid model. So the, the first guys to start this was Ribbon Finance. So they, they did an uh, option vault where you have the investment the collateral management, the price discovery, and the settlement done on-chain. But the risk management of the options is done off-chain. So what happens is you have the usual uh, uh, investors, stakers stake in the option vault. The protocol then selects the option and the market maker comes in to buy the option. Um, it's It's a very elegant model because the parts that need to be trustless are trustless. And that works well. And the parts that need to be off-chain are off-chain, right? So in this case, if you have the the uh, the stakers or investors, you know, fully collateralized selling puts and calls, and then you have the market maker buying the option contract. What you have now is you can tokenize that option contract, and you can trade that around. I mean, this so this, this part has not it's not doesn't exist yet, but you can then t- tokenize the option contract and you can trade it around without care of liquidation because there's no, there's, no liquidation, uh, there's no liquidation concern because one, one, one part of this whole piece is fully collateralized. So if you can see, you, you're actually able, if you have enough vaults, you are actually able to create a full option order book with all with the various contracts being traded freely uh, between market makers or between uh, users without a uh, issue, liquidation issue. So I mean, this is a very, very elegant solution. So we are at phase one of this solution where People are putting putting the uh, um uh, uh dollars, uh, stable coins, coins in the vaults, and then they are selling puts, covered puts and covered calls on them. Um easy to use, elegant solution, the market makers come in and bid, market makers on the buy side, investors on the sell side. That's become very scalable. So Ribbon has been a great validation of this first phase, first phase of the model. Um you know they they raise huge AUM uh, uh very quickly. And we have seen more of these option vaults, which, which, is, which is what is creating that volume, right? So Ribbon has about 200 million, Datanuts um, has, a, has well, about 50 million now. Um, and you know, various other guys like Dow, Siren and, and a few other guys. And all together, you know, it's, it's creating quite a bit of, of volume in the market. And uh, the interesting thing for me about this model is not, not just that we have found a way to make options scalable on DeFi through this hybrid system. But more importantly, it has created liquidity in altcoin options that we've never seen previously. So you know we've been running option book for three, four years, and we've always wanted to uh, you know cre- increase the size of altcoin activity, but it's been a it's been a tough one, right? Um, you know uh, either a mixture of people not understanding exactly how how to how, how, why they should do options on altcoin, plus a mixture of uh, you know there's no vega market for it, no liquidity. But, you know, with this model, we have seen a lot of interest for altcoin options. So now we, uh, we had that on, on Datanuts, there is a $10 million Algorand option vault. There is a Luna vault, there's Ave vaults, uh, we're even having a dollar spell vault, AVEX vault, you know. So with this model, ironically, not just the uh, options on DeFi, it's altcoin options that are being created, you know, with this seed. There's, there is liquidity, not not just for DeFi, but with this uh, initial seed of the altcoin options in DeFi on the DeFi options vaults, I think they are. It is creating liquidity in CFI as well for these options. So I mean that that bit of it is very interesting to me.
0: Wow, <laughs> that that was a lot, um, a lot of good stuff to, to parse out. Really, I mean, number one is, I imagine a lot of people who are tuning in today are institutional investors in the traditional financial space. Now, one theme within DeFi, um, you know, as we sit here end of 2021, is what protocols exist to support institutional activity, especially those who are kind of coming in from the traditional financial space, not necessarily the crypto native institutions. Is Ribbon Finance a protocol these institutions can use right off the bat?
1: So that's a very interesting question because uh, that's something that we've been talking about with with, uh, various financial institutions and regulators, right? Um, What I think is amazing about this is, you know, typically, as you know, in the crypto world, crypto products, crypto trading products tend to mirror what we've seen in traditional finance. So it's almost like, you know, playing a bit of catch up with some modification. I mean, you know, you guys know the, uh, the event of perps, the event of the way options are traded. We are copying traditional finance market structures. Uh, what I found, found about this part of, of DeFi options is we are taking that one step further because this is, there is no, it is greenfield. There is nothing to copy from traditional finance here. We are talking about how do you solve for trading? structured products and non-linear products without an intermediary. The traditional finance side has never had to deal with this. Uh, so this is pure innovation, right? It's pure innovation as to how do you disrupt asset management? How do you disrupt uh, derivatives trading uh, or rather the traditional derivatives trading by picking out the intermediary for these products? So no, 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 no it's, not, it's not a conversation about who the prime broker is or how much you know, margins or whatnot, it is creating a new way of trading that takes out a lot of the uh, old way of doing things. So if you look at Riven Finance, it's two disruptions, right? One disruption is derivatives trading without intermediary. The other disruption is asset management on-chain without the usual, um, you know, the usual setup of funds with a fund admin and and all this, uh, you know, where you have to be accredited to to invest. You are putting in strategies that, you know, hedge funds use, package it into something simple and allowing somebody to tap on this on these strategies, whether he has a million dollars or he has $10. So it is disrupting both derivative trading and asset management, um, making it a lot more accessible. So as to your question, you know, as to how how institutions might see this, I think even though it's uh, it seems really far out, right, I think this part of DeFi might be more familiar to them. Then the DeFi that we see it, um, you know, uh, if you talk to them about AMMs or, or, uh, or you know, staking, staking it and uh, borrowing lending with, with, you know, giving token as a yield, it seems less familiar to them than an option contract that is fully collateralized and then can be traded. Um, I think this again could be the entry for, for DeFi, for, for institutions and banks to come into DeFi. So we have been discussing this with MAS. Uh, you know, we've been discussing this with banks. Uh, not sure how much I'm at liberty to say as to what the development is going to be. Uh, but there has been real effort uh, on the part of the Singapore regulator to try and see how this can be the way in which institutions can participate in DeFi. Because the underlying product is not, it's not nothing too funky, right? It's uh, understandable to them. It's an option contract uh, strike. Kind of expiry, you know, looks simple. Um you can trade it, you know, uh you can trade it as you would in the in in, 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 in in traditional finance. Uh the underlying it's probably crypto, but that's something that that, that is uh, familiar to them as well. So I think you know this uh this development of, of DeFi options vaults actually has many, many ways that it could go and develop. Um my feeling is that it could bring in a new wave of DeFi interest again not just from the usual crypto native, but from non-crypto uh, uh, financial institutions to get more familiar with what we are doing as well.
0: And I think what's going to prove these protocols too is by stress testing them, right? In, you know, a bear market where DeFi is really put to the test. Um, not only the, you know, spot markets, which is kind of how how DeFi has been uh, evolving over the past couple of years, but now more so in the derivatives markets, as you mentioned, right? So that will really um, put some weight behind, you know, whether this protocol or not necessarily Ribbon, all the other ones that you mentioned as well, um, are suitable for these institutions because I think that's what they want to see, sort of historical precedence uh, for for trading on these protocols they might not be familiar with.
1: Yeah, I think think the main concern, again, with um, institutions for trading on DeFi is... Is this regulatory part of it? I mean, it might it might sound strange to say permission DeFi markets because I mean, naturally DeFi is meant to be permissionless. Uh, but you know, uh, and and it's a bit of a oxymoron, right? You know, uh, an irony. But but, is it possible for us? Is it possible for the regulator to to create a a a, a market where where they have oversight? Um, sounds strange, but you know, remains to be seen. I mean, over the last year. I've had conversations with MAS. I've had conversations with the uh, the Fed, you know. And and this and one thing they're all scratching their heads on is how how does the government regulate DeFi? Is it even possible to regulate DeFi? I mean, we all know that, you know, the mainnet, a lot of the DeFi founders, uh, was served by SEC, you know. And everyone is still wondering, you know, what exactly are they, who exactly, and why are they are they serving, you know, the the founders themselves. Probably don't even know which jurisdiction they are from, you know. So they are they are not sure who who is getting sued as well. So I mean, uh, I think this bit of DeFi, the regulatory part of it, is going to still remain as a uh, bit of a a challenge. You know, how 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 exactly does the government ensure that DeFi investors are protected, uh, and that you know, um, and that uh, you know that that the founders of various projects are acting in their best interest. Uh, And how exactly do they uh, have oversight? You know, I think uh, the DeFi doesn't lend itself well to that. Um, So I'm interested to see how this tussle will play out as well.
0: So I think what would be really helpful for the audience uh, is to understand how Asia particularly um, has been drawn to DeFi platforms, DeFi activity. Um, You guys are very much specialized in helping to facilitate flow in Southeast Asia. Is DeFi big in these regions?
1: I would say uh, increasingly so. The interesting uh, segue for Southeast Asia to come into DeFi has actually not been options or, or uh, um, financial products. The, the biggest pool for, for, for Southeast Asia has been the play-to-earn space um Xie infinity for example um <laughs> that has been a an absolute phenomenon in uh philippines and in and in, in indonesia especially uh as you know we are one of the shareholders of Toko crypto the the highest traded volume coin there by far in uh, Toko crypto has been um slp from xem infinity in thailand as well and in philippines so that market has actually uh, pulled a lot of, uh, you know, lay people, uh, 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 non-crypto natives to become crypto natives. So that, that has been uh, a phenomenal, in the, especially in the last uh, 6 months or so. Um, and the interest has been out of there. And then, you know, these people have then gone on to uh, explore the DeFi market. So we have seen a big expansion in that. A lot of the interest in, in DeFi options and in other DeFi products have been uh, uh we have seen from the communities that have formed uh uh you know from the play to earn space as well. Um but at the same time you know uh, the Asian wealth the Asian wealth community have is now a buzz with, with crypto, right? Um you know um not this part not necessarily DeFi uh but you know they have been a buzz with it's, uh um uh, you know family offices now crypto is a very normal thing for them to be doing uh in fact uh you know if if uh, your family office or a big private fund and you're not doing crypto you know you're, you're you're a bit behind the curve already um and i think that 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 sentiment has been a a very positive one for us here in asia
0: same as what i'm seeing here too i mean hong kong same as singapore a number of family offices and you know one of the main resource difficulties, I think, for family offices uh, is just knowledge, right? Knowledge and actually talent, too, because, you know, family offices, oftentimes just a couple people, especially, you know, single family office, right? With one person um, bearing the burden of having to understand not only what's been happening, but also what they should be expecting and looking, you know, uh, looking ahead and also pitching to the investment committee. Right. Exactly. And so when they're doing their due diligence, trying to figure out not only what protocols to use to capture yield, for example, if, if they want to go that route, but also just getting set up infrastructure wise. Right. What custodian do I use? How do I manage uh, to get funds from, you know, this bank over to your your platform? Um, how have your conversations evolved with family offices in Asia since when you guys perhaps, you know, first started maybe year two of QCP um, to now, as we sit here in, in 2021, like has it been easier for these guys uh, to be getting in?
1: No, I think uh, you're you're absolutely right. Right. Um, most of these these guys, uh, they have crypto in a very private capacity. So, you know, they might be on Binance or FTX and, you know, they're trading, uh, <clears throat> trading, uh, um, trading spot in Bitcoin, Ether, altcoins, uh, but um, more, more, more commonly, we see that these guys uh, are more comfortable getting into the space through the venture side, right? Um, that that bit is less complicated to, to execute, implement and settle, right? Uh, all they do is, you know, either sign a soft and... Uh, you know, sign a safe, you know, you you you, you get it on a venture deal and you, you're given tokens and then all you have to do is sell it. So a lot of them have just have to solve for how do we sell and where do we sell. So, you know, we, we see a lot of that. Um, the macro side, you know, we've been seeing some activity in there as well. Uh, but that bit is a bit slower because like as like you rightly mentioned, right? Uh, how many fund admins are there that can deal with crypto? Uh, can a fund admin ever accept, uh, you know, investment of crypto in kind. Um are there there's still there still isn't a, a big uh uh um prime broker in the space, you know, which these a lot of these funds need. Um but yeah, so I think you know it's uh it's still a lot more difficult on the macro side of things, I would say. Um but you know the, the kickstart has really been on the venture side. I mean for us, even for us uh, you know, we we've set up the asset management company with the macro fund and, and the VC fund. The interest has been very, very much on the VC side, right? Uh, um, you know, given the, and I mean, between all of us, the, the returns on the VC side have been spectacular in the last couple of years as well. That has been the best performing strategy, uh, you know, for anybody in crypto, uh, including ourselves. So, um, you know, I think the VC side is, is the draw. And once perhaps when the uh, VC returns start to normalize, then we see more interest in the macro side, I think. So uh, it's almost like two ends of the spectrum, right? Uh, most of the, most of the uh, um, traditional market guys either want a very safe, delta neutral, carry type strategy, or they want a degen venture strategy, <laughs> right? So uh, a bit of yeah. a barbell effect going on here, yeah.
0: Yeah, rarely guys in the middle who are like, you know what, I'm satisfied just kind of doing this or that. They either want those thousand percent returns.
1: Exactly. Or thousand they want thousand to just X, not Thousand X, thousand percent. Thousand X returns. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think what would be really interesting, and maybe this is something for Real Vision, is uh, to put together a little fireside chat or, or panel with, uh, you know, family offices from different regions, maybe, because the on-ramp into crypto... The decision making process and then the execution process, right? As you rightly mentioned, either it be straight into the equity and and maybe token investing side of things, um, or or whether it be, you know, direct into trading uh, within CFI, or even for those who might be a little bit more advanced in DeFi, those conversations look very very different right and they also probably uh function on different time frames as well depending on um the setup uh that the family office uh has so that could be a very interesting one because the family office narrative tends to be quite opaque right there's n- not a lot of people are open about it because rightly so right it's it's their own capital um and there really hasn't been a need for them to kind of come out and talk about how they're thinking about it but anyways I think that would be quite an interesting conversation.
1: No, that would be very interesting. And, and I mean, beyond that, right, um, talking about how, how hedge funds can get into the space, right, uh, we've been having conversations with, with big hedge funds, uh, and some of the questions they ask are really funny, right? You know, uh, stuff like, how do you ensure people don't steal my tokens and run away? You know, uh, that, that kind of thing, right? You no, know, I mean, uh, it's, a bit of, it's a bit funny to us, but, but you know, uh, it, it's, re- it's a legitimate concern, right? <laughs> Um, you know they aren't. They're not aware. You know that you have solutions, institutional-grade solutions that, like, like fire blocks, Anchorage, that 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 have good security. You know, institutional-grade uh, settlement. Um, you know, they, they they sort of still think that crypto is still in the dark ages. So I think you know having having a, a conversation about infrastructure, boring as it may seem, could be very helpful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Darius, as we wrap up here, I wanted to touch on two different. Um, But related, of course, uh, questions, one on the macro level, which is how can we expect the crypto market to behave coming out the gates in 2022? I'm obligated to ask you this question because when this podcast comes out, it will be around, you know, end of December, probably uh, uh, around Christmas time. So that I know is top of mind for those who are in crypto and those looking to get in. And then the second question, um, I'll, I'll ask you in just a bit.
1: I think, you know, like we discussed earlier, you know, this has been a phenomenal year for returns, right? Um, and, uh, I think the crypto market will take direction from the rest of the macro market. So as Paul Tudor jones rightly pointed out, uh, next year's market, uh, macro environment is going to be very tricky. You have a situation where it's not just crypto guys; uh, uh, equity guys have record profits uh, coming out of the year. But when, but when December 31st becomes January 1st, that uh, 100% return becomes zero, and we start from, we start from flat. So the question is: uh, any drawdown from there uh, will look like a loss. So there is this uh, psychological effect that people are going to be dealing with, where on a risk reward basis, it makes sense to take profit on what you have right off the bat. And then you have that uh, spiral that could happen where, you know, people take profit, start cutting positions and, and we could see, a, a, you know, a risk off situation, a, a deleveraging situation. Uh, at the same time, you know, on the backdrop, you have, you have high inflation, which is going to force the, the Fed's hand at some point. Um, so the question was also, so what happens to both equity markets and crypto markets when that free money tap uh, starts to shut off? Um, that, that is a question that we all have to, to, to tackle. Uh, my take on this is um, make sure you have some dry powder, right? Uh, the crypto markets could, could go on in this positive feedback loop for a while, right? I'm not saying it's going to crash. Uh, but it might, it will correct at some point, I think, uh, you know, whether from anywhere from now to Q2 next year, I, I do expect some corrections. I mean, and our strategy for this has been to, on the option book at least, has been to uh, buy more tails. Um, you know, the, the the tails tend to be uh, underpriced in crypto when, when uh, you have this kind of macro, tricky situa- tricky situation. And the moves can be very outsized. So uh, buying tails and uh, buying gamma has been uh, something that we've been sort of positioning into uh, to, to, to sort of deal with, uh, I think, a higher vol environment. So directionally, I don't, I'm not sure. You know, at the end of 22, how we would look. Uh, we could very well, you know, have another record year. Um, like Paul said, you know, he's not going to bet against crypto, um, but I'm. Pretty sure that you know we will see a a, a a higher volatility and a more gappy environment. So, so my 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 uh my conviction call is in the vol side, where I think that we will see a higher vol environment, uh, and more gappy markets. But gapping which way, uh, you know, it could be down then up, up then down. Uh, that bit, I'm not so sure.
0: So then, a follow up to that would be more on the micro market microstructure level, um, which is what changes in fundamentals might affect this macro thesis that you have.
1: I think the micro that we described in, uh, you know, innovations in in uh, in uh, you know the way structured products, the way uh, options are being traded on on DeFi, that what, that bit of innovation is extremely exciting to me uh because again uh you know we are taking we are creating uh systems, creating uh market structures that uh have that that the traditional markets have never had to deal with. You know, we are creating the new way things are gonna be done. Um I still think that uh crypto is underowned. Um you know I think you know we were we were at uh the Singapore you know, Financial Markets Association, you know, there was a poll done there and only about a fifth or quarter of the audience actually own Bitcoin. So as we see uh, these, these, uh, uh, you know, the, the traditional market segments start to convert into crypto owners, um, adoption will grow. So we have a situation where tricky macro environment, tricky macro environment, uh, potential leverage unwind, but we also have a situation where crypto is, remains under, under-owned. So, um, you know, I, 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 I do think uh, uh, that bit where more participants come in, you know, uh, would, would provide some support to the market. Um, I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for our audience, if you're not holding crypto, listen to Darius. Um, become <laughs> a crypto hodler and contribute to the space. Um, Darius, appreciate you so much for... Hopping on Real Vision, I hope for listeners who uh, didn't tune in to the first one, please do, because it is such a good primer on the way Darius thinks, how QCP has been positioning itself to facilitate uh, crypto market flows, uh, not only um, in the West. I'm I'm, I'm sure you guys have counterparties in the West, but more specifically, I think, and, and this is where the story gets interesting, is within the Asia region, specifically Southeast Asia. They talk a lot about stable coins, uh, real world use cases again in Asia. And I think in this conversation, we talked about so much, Darius, but, you know, a lot on just the, the macro themes to look uh, out for, as well as the really interesting DeFi options landscape, which for myself, this is a real learning treat. Um, so appreciate you for hopping on and can't wait for the next conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Hey there. Since you got to the end, I'm guessing you liked the video. and that's probably because we don't just turn on a camera and film we work really hard on getting the narrative flow just right. And that's why many finance companies are actually now hiring Real Vision to make videos for them. One of our recent client videos just hit 100,000 organic views on YouTube, and there were no kittens in sight. So if you wanna find out how Real Vision can make a video for your company, just email us at customvideo at realvision.com.